Well, welcome to The Crossing, and happy Valentine's Day to you. So glad that you're with us today. Well, it wasn't for Valentine's Day, but it was for my anniversary years ago. Darla and I decided we would go out to the most expensive place that we could afford at that season in our life, Starbucks. So we got our kids all in, you know, the car that I'd always wanted my entire life, a 1990-something Dodge minivan, and we dropped them off at the babysitter. And as we were coming back, we are going on these side roads trying to get to Starbucks. As we're driving along, I pass this cop, and immediately he puts on his lights and turns, on, turns around to come behind me. And I just look at my wife. I said, did I do something wrong? She said, I have no idea. Well, because I had a Dodge minivan, I couldn't outrun him, so I decided to go ahead and pull over. And he comes to my window, and he says, uh, do you know how fast you were going? I'm like, nope, I have no idea. He says, 53. I'm like, okay, that sounds about right. He says, do you know what the speed limit is on this street? Nope, have no idea. And he points his flashlight to the 25-mile-an-hour speed zone that I'm in. He said, do you know that in the state of Nevada, when you double the speed limit, it's reckless driving? Nope, I did not know that. He said, do you know when you, are, when you have reckless driving, it is eight points on your record and you lose your license at 12 points? I'm like, nope, I did not know that. He said, where are you going so fast? And I said, well, it's our anniversary. We're heading to Starbucks. And he said, well, happy anniversary. And he takes my license and he goes back to his car and he does whatever policemen do for the next 10 minutes. I'm like, there can't be that much stuff on me. And so finally he comes back and he says, I need to see your registration and your insurance. And I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. It's a true story. He looks at it and he goes, do you know these expired a year ago? And I'm like, I've got my current ones in here. Just let me find them. He goes, just stop. Just stop. I do not have time to write you all the tickets that you deserve. He said, but if you promise me you won't speed on my street again, I'll let you go. And I said, well, I didn't know it was your street, but absolutely, I will not speed on your street again. Then he says, happy anniversary, and lets me go. It was one of those moments where I didn't even know that I had done anything wrong when I was pulled over. And by the time he was done with me, I was so grateful I wasn't going to jail. I think this is how it is in our relationship with God. That there's so many times we don't fully grasp the grace that we have on our life until we're confronted face to face with our sin to see how far away we've missed the mark of what God has for us. The Apostle Paul talks about this dilemma that he found himself in in Romans chapter 7. We looked at this last week. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. See, we all know what this feels like, because this isn't a Bible thing. This is a human nature thing. You don't even do the things that you think that you should do. It's like there is two of us. We know what we ought to do. We know. I know what I should be doing. I would be a better person. I would be a better husband. I would be a better father. But I don't do it. We don't do this stuff. And then the stuff that we promise that we will never do again, it's the stuff we keep coming back to time and time again. 
Because I think it's impossible to solve a problem that you don't know if you don't know what's wrong in the first place. And when I hear a noise in my car, I'll go out to the front, I'll pop the hood up, and I'll stare at the engine for a few minutes. And then I'll put the hood back down and call my mechanic because I have no idea what I'm looking at. I mean, I might as well be looking at the glove compartment. I I just have no idea because I don't understand it. Many of you have been trying to solve you for a long time. You spent money on trying to solve you. Your boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse has sent you to talk to someone to solve you. They say, either you get fixed or I'm gone. The problem is, it's hard to solve you if you don't know what the problem is to begin with. Well, the Apostle Paul comes to the rescue. And in today's passage, he is going to explain what is going on this battle that we have going on inside of us. This battle that we have where we want to do what we, we should be doing, but we don't do it. And then he's going to give the solution. He's going to talk about how you have the power of God in your life to overcome these things that have have weighed us down for so long. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Romans chapter 8. We started a series last week that we're calling Messy Grace. And over these next few weeks, we're just walking through one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible, Romans 8. And last week, our big idea was just the first verse out of Romans where Paul says this. He says, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That once you are connected with Jesus Christ as your Savior from God's perspective, you're no longer condemned. Well, today, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about this battle that's going on inside of us, and he calls it this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And here's what he says. We're going to begin in verse 8, verse 5 of chapter 8. He says this, he says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. This word flesh just refers to the sinful nature. Paul describes this conflict that is going on in the mind of every follower. That you get into a fight with your spouse And they say something and you feel disrespected and what you want to do is you want to lash back. You want to cut deeply with your your words. What is that? That's our sinful nature. That's our sinful nature that wants to do that. And then there's this other side of you that says, no, you you need to be what God would want you to be. You need to be loving and kind. And there is this tug of war that is going on inside of all of us. Well, he explains it further here in verse 6. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Paul says that the mind governed by your sinful nature, it leads to death. But the mind that's governed by the spirit, the spirit that God has put in us, it brings life. When your mind is governed by the spirit, it brings peace in your life and in your relationships. Think about the impact that your mind has on the direction of your life. Think about the the way that you think where you end up. See, it's the outcomes of our life that bother us. This is what brought a bunch of you back to church because the outcomes of your life were so painful that you thought, I have to do something different. I have to try something else. And so that's what brought you back here, that you have marriage problems. And where, where all of us were is we thought that we had these problems that they would go away when we got married. It's not quite the way it works, does it? They only get magnified. That we have... These friend problems, that you chose the wrong friends, 
chose the wrong friends at school or where you hang out, and you end up making some dumb decisions. You have money problems. I don't think that God gets our attention any quicker than when it comes to the money problems in our life. It's the outcomes of our life that bother us. So we begin to think, I need to make better decisions. I need to make better financial decisions, better relationship decisions, job decisions. Sometimes we know that we're making bad decisions, but we think we can manage them. It's like, I know I can't afford a new car, but it's all going to work out. You know, I know I shouldn't have him move in with me. I know that's not the right thing, but it'll be okay. Because we think that we can manage these bad decisions that we make. Isn't it true that our bad decisions lead to bad outcomes, but that's not the root of it. Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us, that those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. If making better decisions does not involve changing the way that you think, then you're going to end up making the same mistakes over and over and over again. It's changing your mind, your thoughts. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That every thought we take it captive and we make it obedient. Later on in chapter 12 of Romans, he'll talk about renewing your mind, that we renew our mind so that we become more like Christ. Verse 7, he says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in, um, in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. If the mind is gut that is governed by the flesh is hostile towards God, how do we begin to change our minds? See, we all understand that what you feed grows and what you starve dies. What you feed grows bigger and stronger and what you starve will eventually die. If you feed your plant, it's going to grow. If you starve your plant, it's going to die. Unless it's in my house, and every plant in my house eventually dies. I mean, we can't keep anything alive. If you feed your fleshly nature, your desires to sin grow. There are some sins that are progressive, and you know this. Because there are some sins that satisfied you at one point, but they become progressive, that they grow. If you starve your, fresh, your fleshly nature, it starts to die. If you feed your spirit, then your spirit grows stronger. Your intimacy with God increases and his power within you to overcome the sins of your flesh, they begin to grow. That what you feed grows and what you starve dies. And Paul is going to begin to talk about, here's the solution to this epic battle. There's this epic tug of war that's going on in our life between our spirit and our flesh. And he's going to give us the solution. The solution of God's presence and his power in your life. He says this in verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. He's talking to believers here. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Paul is talking about God's presence in your life, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit, which is in you. Now, I grew up going to church. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's just what our family did. And when you're a little kid growing up in the church, there are certain rules that you hear that you never forget. Like when me and my buddies would run up and down the halls at church, there would be some well-meaning church person 
who would come up and say, don't run in church because this is God's house. But the way they would say it, they'd go, this is God's house. Because it sounded more spiritual to say that. So is, is this God's house? Is this God's house? I grew up calling this room the sanctuary. Maybe you did too. And some of you still call this the sanctuary, and that's okay. You, you don't have to stop. Maybe the first time you came here, you thought, is it okay for me to bring my coffee in here? Because this is the sanctuary. I mean, what if I spill my coffee in the sanctuary? Because a sanctuary is where God resides. Let me tell you, this is not a sanctuary. This is the sanctuary. You are the sanctuary where God resides. This right here, this is just an auditorium. Just an auditorium. You are the sanctuary. That in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to certain people for a specific purpose. The Holy Spirit was given to the, to the children of Israel, guiding them into Moses. The Holy Spirit was given to Joshua with leadership skills and wisdom. The Holy Spirit was given to the judges of Israel, Gideon and Samson. When King David became the king, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. You might remember when David sinned, he begged God not to take the Holy Spirit from him. Then in the Old Testament, that the Holy Spirit came to certain people for a specific purpose. But after the resurrection, the Spirit was given to all believers. That if you are a believer of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And what happens is when you become a Christian, God's Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, moves into you, into your body, and begins to birth change in you if you will cooperate with God's Spirit. See, God is not just near us and around us. God is not just with us, which is what He promises. That God is in us. God is in us. Here's what the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. He says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you, God's Spirit in you, is greater than anything that Satan can throw at you. That if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You already have the Holy Spirit. And the opposite is true as well. Look at the end of verse 9 again. It says, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. That every follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit, but if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. You don't belong to Christ. Paul says that the Spirit is God's presence in your life. And then the second thing he talks about is he says the Spirit is God's power in your life. In verse 10, he says, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. I don't know whether you caught that or not, but as followers of Jesus, our entire faith is based on an event it's the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate Easter in six weeks. That it is the event that we base our faith on. It is the single most powerful thing that God has ever done, raising Jesus from the dead. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. That's the power you have. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John 14 and John 16. 
In fact, Jesus says, I need to go away. He's talking to his disciples. I need to go away so my spirit can come to you. And Jesus begins to explain the power of the Holy Spirit on us. He describes the Holy Spirit as a counselor. You know, most of us have probably gone to counseling at one time or another. Every time I go to, to my counselor, I just say, I just need you to speak into my life. The Holy Spirit is the, is the counselor. It is God speaking into your life. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. That is why there are certain sins that didn't bother you before you became a follower of Christ, and now they bother you. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comforts us and encourages us. The Spirit prompts us, prompts us to sometimes say things that we need to say to help people. When you feel that prompting, you're like, where did that come from? Well, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives us power to share Christ boldly. Have you ever been talking to somebody about your faith, and all of a sudden you begin to say things that you didn't know where that came from? Like, I didn't even plan to do that. And you're like, wow, that was pretty cool. That was pretty good. Where'd that come from? That was the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will come to us in those moments. That the Holy Spirit, and he'll say later on in Romans chapter 8, that gives us power in our weakness. He says there are times where we don't even know what to pray. There are times where you are so broken that you don't even know how to put your emotions into words. And it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, gives the words to God that we don't even have. The Spirit guides us. The Spirit guides us. One of my favorite verses is in Isaiah chapter 30. And here's what it says. It says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's God's Spirit whispering into your life, this is the way, walk in it. To be honest with you, I think there's a lot of times where we completely ignore God's power in our life. We completely ignore how powerful God wants to be in our life. If the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you, then you have the power to make the right decisions. You have the power to forgive when you think it's impossible. The power to walk away from temptation. The power to love your enemies. The power to let go of criticism. The power to say the right thing. The power to love unconditionally. The power to face fear in the face and to move forward with courage. It's the power to keep hope alive. The same power that blew the rock off of the tomb is in you. So here's the big idea of today. Here's the big idea. is the presence of God's Spirit in you. It gives you the power to overcome anything that comes against you. The presence of God's Spirit in you gives you the power to overcome anything that comes against you. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are going, well, that's great, Pastor Shane, but it doesn't work like that in my life. You know, I have a real job and I have a real life and things just don't seem quite as easy for me as they are for you. Well, we are six weeks away from Easter and we're in that season of Lent. On Wednesday night, we had Ash Wednesday. We had 11, 1,200 people in here as we begin to celebrate this season. Lent is Latin for 40. It's just the counting down of the 40 days until the Easter season. That's what that all represents. And there's many of you who've decided to give up something for Lent. 
And the reason that we give up something is not to just deny ourselves of something. It's to make space for God. It's to make space for God to work. And so here's my encouragement to you over these next few days and these next few weeks is that you would pay attention. That you would pay attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life. That sometimes it may be the prompting to say something. It might be the prompting to be joyful when before you couldn't find joy in your situation. To let love be expressed in your life. For you to pay attention. The Spirit is always moving and always guiding And for us to pay attention to where he wants us to go. And maybe during the season, for you, it's just to write down, maybe in your journal, just saying, here's where I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to me. How he's prompting me. How he's guiding me. Begin to write this down so you can see what God is doing in your life. And maybe this would be your prayer. God, help me to pay attention to the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit. That's it. Comes out of Galatians chapter 5. God, help me to pay attention and to keep in step. For me to pay attention and keep in step of whatever the Spirit wants. Well, I want to talk to others of you who are here because the Bible is very clear. Only those who are followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit. Only those who have surrendered their life to Jesus are given the Holy Spirit to guide them and direct them. And so I want to close today and I want to answer the question, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? Because the Bible tells us. It was actually the Apostle Peter A few weeks after Jesus was crucified, he was teaching them about what they had done to Christ. And finally, they they came to him and they said, what must we do to be saved? And here's what Peter said in Acts chapter 2. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And look at this next verse. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter is speaking this to you, that this promise is for you as well. That when we surrender our life to Christ, when we repent, which means we turn from our old ways, and when we're baptized, the Bible says we receive the Holy Spirit. And one of the questions I often get is people say, well, when does the Holy Spirit come in all of that? Well, I don't know for sure. It's like, does it matter? Because we're called to do all of these things. In fact, according to Ephesians, that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is given as a down payment for your salvation. Isn't that a cool word picture? It's a down payment. It is a partial payment guaranteeing that the rest is to come, that the Spirit is God's down payment on your salvation. So I want to talk to those of you who have never been baptized. Because baptism is just the wedding ceremony for a believer. It's saying, I'm in till death do us part. That I'm in. I'm committing my life to you. And what baptism represents is it is dying to your old life. That all of your sins, all of the things from your past are gone and they're dead. And then you rise up to live this brand new life. That's what baptism represents. We're going to be doing baptisms After every service on Easter, out in the courtyard, we're going to be doing baptisms. I'm praying for a couple hundred people who will be baptized. We're also doing baptisms in two weeks. That whenever we do baptisms in this room, we ask people to share their story. And a lot of times people get scared about that. They go, "I I don't know if I have anything to say. You have something to say. And you're going to have the opportunity to share your story with more people that one time. 
then maybe you'll share the rest of your life. But here's why we want you to do this. It's because there's a couple dozen people in here who have the same story as you. That they'll hear your story and they'll go, that's my story. And if Jesus can do that for them, then maybe Jesus can do that for me. That's the power of that. That some of you just need to make the decision, I'm ready to be baptized. I'm ready to make that decision. I, I talk to a lot of people who go, well, as soon as I get my life all ready, should I get myself all put together, then I'll be baptized. I'm like, really? Because the Bible says that when we accept Jesus, we repent and are baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit. And you think that you're going to make the changes on your own that God wants to make in you when Jesus is a part of your life? So here's what I want to do. I want to give some of you an opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus today. For you to surrender your life to Christ. And I'm going to say a prayer that I'm just going to ask you to repeat. And you're not saved by a prayer. You're saved by Jesus. But I want to give you a tangible first step as you're approaching Jesus. Now here's what I ask every believer in this room. Is that you would begin to pray for this moment right now. That you would pray during this moment for those who have yet to make a decision for Christ. I'm just going to ask that we just all bow our heads, close our eyes. And if you want to surrender your life to Jesus today, I'm just going to ask that you just repeat this prayer after me. And you can do this silently. This is just between you and God. Say, God, today I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. I'm asking that you would forgive my sins, that you would give me a brand new start. I am naming Jesus my Lord and my Savior. And God, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would come in me, the Spirit of Jesus would come in me to birth change in me. I want to ask this, everybody just to keep their heads bowed. But if you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you just raise your hand and just make eye contact with me just so I can just see? Fantastic. Awesome. I love it. Wow. All over. Thank you. Very, very cool. Are there others? Thank you. Is there anybody in the, in the risers? Awesome. I want everybody just to look at me who made that decision. The rest of you just keep your heads bowed. If you made that decision, this decision right here will change your life. It's allow Jesus into your life. And here we want to help you with your next step. We have a room over here called the Commons. We have people who would love to pray with you and help you with that next step. There's also a card in the seat back in front of you. It says, I, I want to know what it means to be a follower of Christ, or I want more information about baptism. If you'll fill that out and put it in the offering, one of our pastors will call you this week, and we'll talk with you about your next steps. We just believe God has an amazing plan for your life. God, we thank you for just what you've done in this room. God, the dozens of people in here who have started a relationship with Jesus. God, and here's what the promise that, that, we, that we believe and we're banking on. Is that a followers of Christ is that your spirit comes in us to give us the power to overcome anything that comes against us. God, we thank you for what Jesus has done on the cross for us to pay the penalty for our sins. And we pray this in his name.
Amen.